was at a conf- conference a number of years ago, and uh, towards the end of the, uh, the, the particular session, the speaker announced that there was going to be a time of prayer. And I like prayer. Uh, I believe in prayer. Prayer is a good thing. So I was uh, uh, happy enough that we were going to move into a time of prayer. But it was at that point that he announced that it was what he meant by that was that he was going to pray for us. And uh, specifically, he was going to pray for uh, our healing. Well, he uh, started into this time of prayer by announcing that he felt like God had revealed to him that a number of people in the crowd uh, had some backaches that he was going to heal them of. And um, at this point, I was... I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't too, too uh, excited. I mean, a number of hands went up, but uh, that, that alone didn't seem like such a big deal to me because if you're over 40 and you don't have backaches from time to time, that's, that in itself would be more miraculous. So uh, the fact that some people's hands went up and said they had backaches, well, that was good. He prayed for them and, and uh, that was fine. But what happened next was way more exciting, I felt, because it was at that point where he he stopped and he said, I feel like God has revealed to me that somebody here, and I know this is very specific, somebody here has a, an injury in their shoulder from a hunting incident. And I thought, wow, this is, this is good. Like, this is way more interesting than praying for people's back, back, uh, back aches, right? Like, this is a little, little, more, um, a little more exciting here. But as he said that, we were all looking around, waiting for someone to put up their hand and say, yeah, that's, that's me. And what followed instead was this long, awkward silence. And we just waited and wondering who had been in this hunting incident and uh, who had this shoulder injury. And after this long period of awkward waiting, he pivoted to another revelation that God had given him about something else, and uh, he moved on. But uh, at that point, I wanted to intervene and throw up my hand and say, wait, wait a second, what about the hunting accident? What, uh, what, was, what was going on there? But he pushed forward. Now, I, I need to explain, as by way of background, the particular uh, speaker at this conference uh, was from England, and he had just flown in for the conference. And I don't know, I, I, I'll, I just think there's got to be plenty of people in England that when they picture people in Canada, they figure like there's got to be loads of Canadians who are out hunting on their dog sleds every weekend. And, and so he flies in for a conference and gotta, there's got to be somebody in the crowd who's been out hunting recently, has been in an accident. But the thing is, the conference was held in Brampton. So this was... The chances that any of us had actually been hunting on the weekend and been in some injury, like that, that, was, that was really a long shot. But it, it did give me a lot of questions. I mean, first question you might have asked was, did God get it wrong? Did, did God make a mistake? Did God think that there was someone there with a hunting accident that, that wasn't? Or, or, or had, the, had this person just been making it all up? When, when he said, I think that God has revealed to me that, was he just using that for dramatic effect? Was he more saying, mm, I think there's probably somebody here with some condition like this and it'd be great for me to pray for him and sound a little more 
little more spiritual and a little more mystical and dramatic if I said, you know, God told me this, or what was going on there? And, and what do we make of that? And, and how should we evaluate things like that? And should I be concerned that he got God's voice so wrong? Should, should, I just, should I just move on and kind of ignore that? Or should that cause me trouble and concern? We've been in a series on prophecy where we've been asking, hey, God, is that you? Where we've been trying to understand, go back to the scriptures and see what do we make of these things and how do we understand them from scripture? If you were here from the beginning, you know that we started off with Moses in Deuteronomy 18. And and Moses gave some really clear guidelines. He said, if someone says something's going to happen because the Lord told him it's going to happen and it doesn't happen, that's a false prophet. Like, it's not like you don't have a 500 battering average. Like, you, you do that once and you identify yourself as a false prophet. Or if someone says some true things but then mixes it in with enough error that he ends up actually leading people away from the Lord, that's also a false prophet. Uh, you don't need to sit around and hear more. That, that, that is enough for you to determine that's out of bounds. And we said, well, but that was in the Old Testament. Then if you were with us, we, we then went to the day of Pentecost. And then following that, we looked at a New Testament prophet by the name of Agabus. And we said, it at least appears in the face of it that New Testament prophecy is functioning very much the same as Old Testament prophecy did. And so presumably the standards and the accountability and the, the guidelines would be similar. Last time then we went to uh, Paul's words in, in, in Ephesians and looked at that idea that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation, uh, that uh, Paul uses that language, not to say that prophets can't exist anymore or that they, they couldn't have any other role than this, but that their key, found, key role was in the foundation of the church. That's what they're called, the the, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And, and the idea is that, that would, their key and, and significant contribution in uh, God's plan was in establishing the church in the, in the New Testament and, and providing guidance and help and, and structure for people as the New Testament was being written. It, it doesn't, doesn't say that, that, that you couldn't have another prophet after that or you couldn't have prophecy after that, but it does help explain why, historically at least, uh, people who have claiming to, to have the gift of prophecy, at least as we've been understanding it from Scripture, have largely disappeared uh, historically after around the middle of the second century. Today we come to uh, our final, uh, final installment in the series on prophecy, and we're looking at this question of how do we evaluate what people say when they claim to speak for God? When somebody claims to be a prophet or claims to give you a prophecy, how can we biblically discern that and uh, uh, have some kind of ground rules for interpreting and, and evaluating that based on Scripture? Uh, for that, we're going to look into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to work from, uh, read from verse 29 to 33, and then we're just going to uh, try to try to break down what it, what it says in those verses. So I encourage you to turn there. Uh, if it's in your pew Bibles on page 903. And uh, I'll uh, have you follow along as I read those verses. 1 Corinthians 14, 
29 to 33. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This is the word of God. Now here, it, we are encouraged to weigh prophets and weigh prophecies, and, and it is all of our responsibility. In the first place, I believe, to start in weighing a prophet is weighing whether the prophet is actually claiming to be a prophet. Because sometimes people can use words, we can, two people can use the same word to mean different things. And so I, I think it's helpful to uh, really understand how they're using the word prophecy or how they're, uh, what they mean by describing themselves as a prophet, if that's what's happening. So we weigh whether the prophet is actually claiming to be a prophet. If you look in verse 20, 29, it says, it, it, let two or three prophets speak and let the others, meaning the rest of the congregation, weigh what is said. But before you actually start weighing the content of what is said, we probably need to weigh the claim to prophecy itself, clarify at least what's being said. We've seen throughout this passage, and maybe you've seen in your own experience, different people can use the same word to, ref to uh, the same word prophecy to refer to vastly different things. Some people, when they read prophecy, they think of just preaching with a little bit of, of, uh, of, of unction, of, uh, uh, of a little bit of passion, and that's, that's prophecy. Uh, for other people, prophecy is maybe like a, a spiritual impression or a hunch or or a thought that comes to mind. For other people, it is authoritative revelation from God. And, and, and so if we don't clarify up front what it is that we're talking when somebody says, well, the Lord told me to tell you, or I have a prophecy from the Lord, then we could run into uh, confusion and misunderstanding. I th think it's helpful, and we've, we regularly say we, we want to be under the word of God and let it teach us. And and so uh, it's helpful, I think, to stop and say, well, what does Paul mean by prophecy? When he talks about these prophets here, what is he talking about? What, is that, what are they actually saying? And I think the next verse gives a clue. Because verse 30 calls prophecy a revelation. Now, a revelation is different than a Christian sermon. A, a revelation is different than a Christian thought. It is something that has been directly revealed by God to a particular individual at a particular time for a particular reason. Uh, this is, uh, th this is uh, a, a good, uh, I think, description of, of prophecy. And so if somebody is, is bringing a prophecy to me, I, it, I, I might want to just say, do you mind if we just clarify terms? Are you bringing me a, an actual revelation from God? Is that what we're talking about here? Or... Do you just have this vague impression that God has impressed something on you that you want to say to me? Because a revelation is, is, it's some, comes with a, a different level of authority, right? I might also go back to one of the clearest examples of a New Testament prophet and that message that we saw in the passage that we saw a couple weeks ago when we looked at Agabus. And when we looked at Agabus, we saw that he said, before he spoke his prophecy, he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. He seemed to believe that God had actually given him 
words that he was commanded to, uh, to pass on and, and to speak. And, and he, so he was speaking the very words of God. And so I might ask a person, after I'd clarify, is this a revelation or is this just kind of your, your thought? I might say, are, are these the actual, actual words from God that he has commanded you to speak? Or is it something different than that? If they're not, I'd probably suggest that we use different language. Because I think that the church is helped by reserving this word prophecy for authoritative revelations from God. When he, when he has spoken and he has done so with clarity, with specificity, with, uh, with the kind of uh, authority that we could uh, rest in. Otherwise, we're claiming God's authority for spiritual hunches that end up a little bit like that talk of hunting accidents in Brampton. And it just makes, it just makes the, sp- the speaker look foolish. It makes God look, look uninformed. It just, it, it's confusing for people. And, and so uh, clarifying terms can be helpful. I remember being in a church, and uh, this particular church, had uh, they called together everyone for a special time of prayer. And as I said, prayer, good thing, like to get involved, like to pray. And we were praying about the direction of the church. We were praying for various uh, things about the church. And it was all, all wonderful, good stuff. Towards the end of the prayer time, however, the pastor announced, wait a second, I feel like God has given me a vision. He's given me this, this, this picture of what we are, what, uh, what uh, um, he wants from us. And he proceeded to describe a large ship. And uh, the ship was uh, sailing on the ocean. And of course, its sails were, were filled with wind. And, and it didn't surprise me very much when that he then proceeded to, to suggest, I think that what God is trying to communicate to us is that our church is like this ship and we are making strides to progress forward with the Holy Spirit uh, filling the, the, the sails uh, with, with his wind and his power. And, and it, was, it, was, it was wonderful. It was, it was great, very uplifting, very encouraging. But I, I, I must admit, I felt a little, eh, a little skeptical. I, I wondered, for instance, if the pastor had instead seen a vision of a ship sinking to the bottom of the ocean, whether he would have then proceeded to say, uh, I really feel like the Lord has given me a vision for our church. Our church is like this ship and we are being led so poorly and under such siege that we are going to drop like a stone to the bottom of the ocean. And I just, I I really wondered whether that would have come out of his mouth. And it left me wondering whether when we're talking, using this language of, the Lord revealed this to me and God has given me a vision, whether it really was just talking about uh, wishful thinking, a hopeful thought, an encouraging thing that popped into my mind, and whether, whether it was that or whether it was actually a divine and authoritative re- revelation that God had given him and commanded him to speak to us as God's people. And, and so you, you have this, uh, this sense of wanting to know, wanting to understand. I have a suggestion, and it's not just for you, it's a suggestion for me, 
And it, it's, it's just a suggestion, but it, it has some biblical precedent, and so I'm going to offer it to you this morning. The next time that you feel that God has impressed something upon you, he has called you to say something, he has given you, moved you to do something, I'm going to suggest that unless you are 100% certain that God has commanded you to speak these very words and he has, he has called you and given you this prophecy, a revelation, I'm going to suggest that it would be helpful for you and I to remember Philip. Uh, Philip is, uh, you, you know the, the, the story of Philip. He, he, he shows up in Acts chapter 8, and he's well known for his encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, Philip I mean, I don't know you. Philip seemed to live at a level of spiritual connectedness that is, like, he was, he was, it was amazing. So at the beginning of this account, it, t- it says that an angel of the Lord directed him. And then when we get to this passage, it's actually the, the Holy Spirit is directly uh, Revect, uh, uh, directing him and, and guiding him. And, and, and so he had a profound level of uh, spiritual connection. But when the Holy Spirit tells him to go, go over to the Ethiopian's chariot, chariot, he actually goes over to him. And you know what he says? I, 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 love, I love his opening line. He says, do you understand what you're reading? For some reason, he doesn't feel a need to say, Ethiopian eunuch, the Lord has sent me to you and the Holy Spirit has directed me and called me to come before you. He just goes over to him and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading there? Can I give you a hand? It's obedience without the, the fanfare. It's, it's just following the leading and the guidance of God's Holy Spirit without the drama, without saying, God told me to come over here and speak to you, and I am now your ambassador. No, he doesn't need to do any of that. He goes over in obedience to God's command and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Can I help you with that? And you know that the result of that conversation is that this Ethiopian has his eyes open to the good news of Jesus Christ, puts his faith in Jesus and is baptized there. It it all is clear that God is powerfully working with, that that the Holy Spirit is at work, but he didn't have to announce that. He didn't need to add the drama of that. He didn't need to claim, hey, I've been sent. He didn't need any of that. He has the humility to just obey the promptings of God without claiming the authority of God. And in Philip's case, he he had every right to. He could have said those things because, in fact, Scripture tells us that's, that's actually what was going on. But if we're honest, you and I know often it's not quite that clear. And, and, and I, I say all that because although we've been talking about prophecy and prophets and, and how unique this, this is, believers of all traditions throughout history have given testimony to the fact that God speaks into our lives. He he, one of the basic uh, uh, actions of the Holy Spirit is to convict us and to convince us and to draw us to Christ. And he does that through his inner working in our lives. But every time he does that, we don't need to call that a revelation. We don't need to declare ourselves 
as having received some special prophecy, that's just the normal workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and I'm saying that it's, it's helpful to make this distinction because if we have a vague impression that the Holy Spirit is, is leading and guiding us in a particular direction, it may even be to, to say or to do something, if we get it wrong with an impression, people know that's on us. If we get it wrong with a revelation, people figure that's on God. And God is, frankly, better than that. God doesn't make mistakes. God, God doesn't... I'm pretty sure that God knew that there wasn't anyone with a hunting accident in our little gathering in Brampton. God, God, God's better than that. But when we claim God's authority on our impressions... It just makes him look bad. And, and, and it's just not faithful, I believe, to what Scripture has, uh, has given us in this whole area of prophecy. So we weigh whether the prophet is actually claiming to be a prophet. We check, we, we try and understand our words. Then I think we need to weigh whether the prophet has the character of a true prophet. Because anyone who claims to speak for God should exhibit some of the character of God, Right? There, there should be a consistency between the life and the one that that life is seeking to represent. And, and we could say this is true, by the way, not just for prophets. It's true for, uh, for those who are called to leadership. And you, you can hold me to this standard. Uh, you should hold our, all of our elders to this standard. Uh, people who claim to represent God in, in some capacity and leadership should re- reflect something of the character of God. And so uh, we, uh, we weigh whether the person who calls himself, to be a, calls himself a prophet has uh, the character of a true prophet. Now, I think that our passage today gives us a few hints of what that character should look like. Some people have described what they thought life in, in the church in Corinth was like, and they assume that if the Holy Spirit is really alive in a congregation, it should be like Corinth said, that, that that's, that's what it should be like. But what you read when you read about the church in Corinth, if you take some time to go through 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, you recognize there was some profound uh, immaturity that was going on. And they, had, they had many problems. In verse 30, though, we get some picture of what Paul expects, will, what, it, what it will be like, when the Holy Spirit is active in people's lives, and people are, uh, in, in this case, for instance, prophet, prophets are on the scene, he says, if one prophet is speaking and a revelation comes to a second prophet, you know what, you know what he suggests that the first prophet should do? They should sit down. Yield the floor. Give, give the other person a chance. There's, there's, no, there's no idea that uh, because the Holy Spirit is working in this person's life that they're, they're kind of jostling for control or one person is giving his message because they they're so divinely compelled and, and this one is so, so moved by the Holy Spirit, he's kind of talking over him or anything like that. No, there is, there's harmony. There is courtesy. There, there is a sense of humility and submission uh, and, and uh, uh, you, you see that brought, it brought out again in, in verse 32. It says, The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. They have self-control. There's, there's no, no talk of a Holy Spirit free-for-all. 
there's, there's no rude attention-seeking or, or, or trying to, to gain control. There, there's gracious uh, spirit of, uh, of uh, a care and, and concern. Then you get to verse 33, and it's brought out even more clearly. There Paul says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And here the idea that a, a true prophet should be fostering peace, not division. Shouldn't be stirring up confusion. Shouldn't be uh, bringing a, 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 a church to, to division. And that's exactly what was going on in the church in Corinth. That was a particular problem that they had. And what we'd say more generally is that God's prophet will reflect God's character. That there will be a consistency between the person and the one that they represent. And if there isn't, it should give us cause for concern. We, we, should, we should immediately say, now, I know this person's making a lot of claims, or they're, they're claiming to, to have these dramatic revelations, and God is speaking to them, but I look at the life, and it really just doesn't seem to add up. That, that should be a cause for concern. We would expect that someone who is bringing words from the Holy Spirit would reflect something of the character of the Holy Spirit. And we know what the Holy Spirit does in a person's life, right? The scriptures tell us that that the Holy Spirit is about the work of creating the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If we see those things in a person's life, that gives us a sense of, of rest. This is consistent with what we'd expect. Where they're absent, it doesn't mean they have to be perfect, but where those qualities are absent in some glaring ways, that should put a question mark beside their claims to have this message from the Holy Spirit. Remember speaking with a pastor who had helped to organize, this was not the conference I mentioned at the the beginning, but actually a different conference. Uh, He had organized a conference for for a very well-known speaker, and it was a very well-known speaker who also claimed to be a prophet, uh, was known for giving prophecies. As he described, I guess this particular pastor was probably in charge of some of the logistics of the event. And he had organized and uh, reserved a very nice hotel in this particular location where the well-known speaker was going to be presenting. Well, the speaker arrives, and this uh, friend of mine, the pastor who is receiving him, uh, takes him into the lobby, greets him there, and he goes in. As the man of God enters the lobby, he has this troubled look come over his face. He said, I don't feel the anointing in this place. I, this, this hotel just, I, I, don't, I don't feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And at that point, my, my friend was feeling very ashamed and embarrassed and started scrambling with the other organizers to, to find a more anointed hotel which in this case, of course, meant a more luxurious hotel. Uh, there, was, there was no, like, this guy was not arriving in sackcloth, let me tell you. He, was, he wasn't looking for, to be eating locusts and uh, living in the desert like John the Baptist or, or anyone like that. He was coming looking for something luxurious, and anything short of that just didn't have the anointing. Now, my friend was very 
disappointed. He, he seemed a little disillusioned by the whole experience. I, honestly, from what I understand from Scripture, I wouldn't have been as charitable. I, I think I would have, in, in one sense, agreed with him. I think I would have felt the confidence to cancel the entire conference altogether and say, you know what, I agree. I'm not feeling the anointing either. I, I think there's something, something they, they just, it doesn't match. Again, it doesn't mean that the person has to be perfect, but if someone who claims to, to speak for God doesn't reflect something of the character of God, there's something very wrong. And we should have the confidence from Scripture to show that discernment and to, to, to be able to make those evaluations. So, a prophet of God should reflect the character of God. We've been saying we've got to evaluate. We, we have been commanded in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, the others, and that's all of us, weigh what is said. We have a responsibility to evaluate. We say one of the ways that you weigh a prophet is you, you, you weigh their claim. Are they actually claiming to be a prophet? Are they using the same word to mean different things? Then we said you need to weigh the character of the person. Do they have the character of a true prophet or is, are there things in the character that just don't seem to add up? Finally, you need to deal with the message. We, we, we need to weigh whether the prophet has the theology of the prophet because what we do know, we do have the revealed word of God. We do have the scriptures and they aren't up for, up for debate. And God isn't going to contradict himself. So if someone who is claiming to speak for God speaks in contradiction to his word, that should, that should be a red flag for all of us. We should all at that point say, that just couldn't be. You can't be speaking for God and contradicting what God has said and what he has revealed in his word. So we weigh whether the prophet has the theology of a true prophet. Paul spells this out in 1 Corinthians uh, towards the end of our chapter. If you'd just glance down to uh, verses 37 and 38 in, in 1 Corinthians 14. He says there, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet, presumably a lot of people thought they were a prophet and they weren't, but if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, that means or, or uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and, and used by him, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. That's pretty direct, right? If someone doesn't submit to the scriptures as the word of God, as the command of God, they are to not be recognized. That means don't give them a hearing, don't give them a platform, don't give them an audience. They are not recognized as a true prophet. They are seen to be what they are, a false prophet. Notice that Paul doesn't say, if anyone doesn't recognize him, if anyone doesn't recognize this, then give them the benefit of the doubt because they probably have a lot of really other important things to say and they just got this a little bit wrong. doesn't say that. Because somebody who is claiming to speak for God with the authority of God can't get it a little bit wrong. They, they need to speak in perfect harmony with the scriptures or they will cause incredible damage. Because people will make, in some cases, life or death decisions on the basis of a supposed revelation that may just be a spiritual hunch. 
So a prophet must be submitted to the scriptures or they're not a true prophet. That may seem obvious to some of you, but it is not. In our day today, this is not obvious. This is the, the idea that we weigh what the prophet has said, that we evaluate, that we discern, it just, it's missing. It's not there. Like, nobody was, nobody was throwing up their hand. And, and to, my, to my, I'd made the evaluation in my own, my own heart when, when this uh, hunting fiasco took place. But I, like, there, there wasn't anybody saying, boy, are you going to skip the next session? Because I think that guy's going to continue on with this. It's like, yeah, we're going to skip the next session. This is, this is nonsense. And, and so it's a call to discernment. John builds on this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. There he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I want you to notice, first of all, that in the first century already, he says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do you think that stopped in the first century? Do you think that they just stopped producing false prophets? No. For 2,000 years, we've just multiplied the, the number of false prophets, and we've, we've sanitized them. So they, they now have denominational titles and church offices, and, and, and yet the false prophets haven't gone away. Here he gives a test, and it was, it was one, one test. He says the person has to affirm that Jesus actually came in the flesh or that he actually became a man. It's, 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 he has to affirm the incarnation. Interestingly, today many people deny the deity of Jesus Christ and assume his humanity. They think, well, he's just a man. He's just a, a good teacher. But in the first century, they had the opposite problem. So many people had had witnessed to and testified to the miracles and the incredible things that he did. They didn't, they didn't doubt the deity of Jesus Christ. They assumed that. They doubted, in some cases, the humanity of Jesus Christ. There were false teachers that would say, he just appeared to be a man. Nobody who could do all of those things could actually be human at the same time. And Paul says... As soon as you hear those kinds of things coming out of the mouth of someone claiming to be a prophet, you can just put a little X beside their name. They are a false prophet. You, you don't need to recognize them. You don't need to hear them. Don't give them an audience. They are a false prophet. Now, obviously, this isn't the only test of doctrine, but the message is not, not to recognize those prof- people who claim to be prophets, but are teaching things that are false. They can make all sorts of claims about the Holy, Holy Spirit, about God speaking to them, of God gave me a vision, God gave me a revelation for you. But if they don't have basic agreement on those foundational truths of Scripture, the character of God, the nature of the Trinity, the way of salvation, if there's not agreement on those things, they are false teachers, false prophets. Now, I need to pause at this point because there may be some of you here this morning who feels, feel, this just feels a little uncharitable. It just seems exclusionary. It feels like, well, why are we, 
why are we getting so worked up about this? Why not just, just take the good with the bad and not, not worry about it so much? Last summer, some of you may have heard the back and forth that took place uh, about a zoo in Cairo. A student was uh, visiting this, this uh, zoo and, and it was enjoying the zoo well enough until he got to the zebra exhibit. He gets to the zebra exhibit and he's looking at the, at, at the, the, uh, the exhibit and there were two zebras there and he's looking at them and he said, they look a lot like donkeys with painted stripes on them. Something strange here. And actually, you can go online and you can see the, the, the pictures. So he, he did what any uh, young adult in the 21st century would do if he sees something a little bit unusual. What do you do? You take a picture and you upload it to Facebook, right? Or Instagram. So he, he put it on Facebook and it went viral. Uh, Veterinarians weighed in, animal experts weighed in, and everybody was in agreement. Although mules and, and uh, zebras share many similarities, if you were a trained expert, there are actually some physiological differences that you can clearly distinguish, distinguish them. And the, the ruling was from anybody who knew anybody, anything about the two species was the, the shape in particular of the, the nose and the face here is, is different. And these were donkeys, not zebras. If you look at the picture online, the thing that really, you know, if you even don't know anything, the, the paint is actually smudged on the, on the face here. So it's just a total disaster, right? Of course, the zookeeper denies it all. He's like, no, there, there really are zebras. Stop all this nonsense. Get off Facebook. They're zebras. Come enjoy the zebra exhibit. For, for some of you, maybe some of the things that we've been saying about discerning and evaluating and weighing prophecy is, is a little bit like, like getting worked up about the, the, whether they're zebras or, or mules and, and why worry about If the kids are enjoying the exhibit, why spoil it for them? Why not just enjoy the painted mules and call them zebras? Maybe that's the, that's the position you take here. And here's the thing. Well, you, you haven't heard me calling for a boycott on the, on the Cairo Zoo or anything, right? I'm not getting worked up about that. I don't, I don't really care. You want to go see him? You want to call it a zebra? Well, who am I to say? But the thing is, when somebody claims to speak for God, they are, they are taking and claiming the words of God, and God's words are very serious. We treat prophecy seriously because we treat God seriously. We treat the things that God has said seriously. And you don't get to, to make mistakes and teach things that are not true and give the credit to God or put the blame on God and get away with it. Because we believe that God is way more, to be treated with way more reverence, way more fear, way more seriousness than that. It's bigger than the thing between mules and 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 zebras. Because when God speaks, we make decisions. We should respond. When God speaks, we should give ourselves and trust him, believe him, and, and put our full weight in him. When God speaks, it's life or death. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, 
Every word of God proves true. And then, he, and then he adds, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. We treat seriously people who claim to speak false words that they say came, came to them from God because we believe every word of God proves true. It's trustworthy that what comes from God's mouth. His word is trustworthy. And we believe that his, his words should be protected and guarded in that way. God's God's warnings are true. God's promises are true. And there's a promise here in this verse. The promise is that he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. It's talking of God's promise to provide salvation to all who would look to him in faith. It's this promise of forgiveness of sins for those who, who would have no other hope other than the hope that is held out in Jesus Christ. He vows here to shield us from the wrath to come. He's committing to pardoning us from the consequences of sin by looking to him, turning to him. It's a promise that runs all the way through scripture. And yet the stakes are life and death. The, the stakes are bigger because they are eternal stakes. And we believe that 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 every word of God proves true, that his promises are reliable. We believe that this invitation that he holds out to us is precious because the one who holds out the invitation is utterly reliable. And he doesn't, he doesn't make mistakes about hunting accidents in Brampton. His words can be trusted. They can be rested in. They can be believed They can give confidence and hope. We can stake our lives on him because his words always prove true. And when people announce that God has said things that he hasn't said, it just confuses people and it makes it harder for them to trust in his word, trust in his promises. Now we've gone through this series on prophecy and the fact is that God probably has, I hope that God has been speaking to you but not because I'm a prophet and not because God has given you some divine revelation, but because one of the basic things that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us, he persuades us, he, he draws us to Jesus Christ, he draws us to holiness. And so I hope that God has been speaking to you. Uh, maybe for some of you, the thing that God has been speaking to you about is it just a need for a greater level of discernment a greater uh, commitment to the authority of God's word, the, the trustworthiness of God, and the willingness to evaluate and weigh the things that you hear. Maybe for some of you, he's convinced you, convinced you to listen to the voice of God when you're tempted to give in to the voice of comfort. And We, we looked at that. And we saw how, how tempting that can be for all of us to, to, to assume the voice of comfort and to play with the voice of God. Maybe for some, he's called you to rebuild your life on the foundation of the scriptures and, and, and really receive Jesus as that cornerstone, that 570-ton five, stone that we talked about. Let him come in and rebuild and, and, and be the, the foundation that you need. And maybe he's invited you this morning to take refuge in him as your shield. Whatever God is, whatever God has done, 
He doesn't speak to you in those ways. He doesn't move in your life in those ways. So you can say, I think I got a prophecy or I think this is a prophet. He moves in your life in those ways so you can respond to him. So you can adjust your life to his plan. We, we, we turn and we trust and we give ourselves to him. And when we do that, it's with the conviction that according to the scriptures, every word of God proves true. We can, be, we can root ourselves in him and rely upon him because he's trustworthy. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are wor- at work personally and individually in each of our lives. Soften our hearts. Would you break down the resistance that keeps us from resp- responding? Give us discernment. Help us not to give an audience to false prophets. And help us to represent you well. Give us the kind of character that would reflect you and give us words that would honor you. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.